0: Hi, and welcome again to Don't Know Beach About History, Short Histories of Long Beach, brought to you by the Long Beach Public Library. I'm Jeff Whalen, local history librarian here at the Long Beach Public Library, and today we'll be presenting part two of the story of legendary batsman Babe Ruth and his arrest in Long Beach, California in January 1927. Joining me again is Christy Bailey, coordinator of the studio, the makerspace here at the Billie Jean King Main Library. Welcome back, Christy. Thank you. Thank you for having me back. When we last left off, Babe Ruth had just arrived in Long Beach to perform a week's worth of vaudeville stage shows at Long Beach's State Theatre at Ocean and Pine, kind of across the street from where the Rock Bottom Brewery is now. His off-season Standing Room Only 14-city tour was wrapping up, and everything was going just about as well as could be for the Sultan of SWAT and his fans in Long Beach. As you may remember, Christy, at the end of the last episode, we were talking about The Babe Show, how they play a short movie about him, and then he bursts burst through the screen, talk for a bit, and then invite a handful of kids from the audience up on stage. They're invited to introduce themselves and sing a song or tell a joke if they'd like. He presents each kid with an autographed baseball, which would be worth over $10,000 today, by the way, and a candy bar called Babe Ruth's Home Run, which The Babe at the time was trying to promote as a competitor to the Baby Ruth candy bar. All in all, it seems like a fairly inoffensive, if undemanding, show from the Babe. But it's a big crowd pleaser, and it goes over like gangbusters with the crowd. It's the same vaudeville show he's been doing for months, including on his just-finished trip to San Diego. But down in San Diego, Christie, troubles a brewing for the Babe. I no. It seems that during one of the San Diego shows, one of the kids brought up on stage is eight-year-old Annette DeKirby, who recites a poem on stage during the show. Somehow, and this is a bit unclear, her parents or somebody complains about how Annette, who was a child actor and about to make her debut as the Little Rascals character Clarabelle in the film Dog Heaven, how she was exploited for the show, and the issue somehow ends up on the desk of Deputy State Labor Commissioner Stanley M. Goo. I didn't expect the little rascals to factor into this story. (laughs) That's how they did it in the 1920s. And then if there's going to be a Deputy State Labor Commissioner, his name is going to be Stanley M. Goo. Just, of course. That's Goo, G-U-E. Now, sometimes Goo is described as a publicity-seeking type person, and that may well be true, although I didn't really see a lot of other celebrity cases he was involved in. But in this case, Goo really goes for it. And it's weird because it definitely seems like an overreaction to what happened on stage, but Goo is galled. He's definitely not happy with the exec of wreck Babe Ruth. So Goo starts working on an indictment for Babe for allowing Annette to say her poem after 10 p.m. on a stage without a proper permit from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Wow, that's a lot to take in. That is a lot to take in. Yeah, it's super weird. It is super weird. Okay, so Trouble's a brewing in San Diego, but at the moment, Babe's not too aware of any of that, because he's living it up in beautiful Long Beach, California, soaking in all the love, all the baseball love, because Long Beach is a baseball town. You know that, huh, Christy? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Long Beach has been a baseball town from the very beginning, long before Major League Baseball came to the West Coast, and certainly continuing after that, Long Beach has been a prolific and trusted provider of baseball talent to the world. Wow. In all, as of 2013, according to the book Baseball in Long Beach by Bob Kaiser, a total of 286 major leaguers have come from Long Beach, either being born here or having gone to school here. Long Beach's Recreation Park and its four baseball fields, including what would become Blair Field, had opened in 1924 and was welcomed with an intense popularity, hosting innumerable games not only for Polly and Wilson High Schools and other local baseball and softball teams, but also for the big boys from the Pacific Coast League teams and visiting major leaguers. Rec Park's first game ever was actually an exhibition game between the Chicago Cubs and the Los Angeles Angels at the time a Pacific Coast League team. There was also Shell Stadium, built in 1922 by the Shell Oil Company in the area of Signal Hill over where Browning High School is now. Indeed, Long Beach has been a seemingly never-ending supply of professional baseballers. But which players came from Long Beach? Well, how about a bunch of people you've never heard of from a long time ago? <laughs> but not only just those guys, but also Hall of Famers Tony Gwynn. He went to Polly, and Bob Lemon. He went to Wilson, and let's not forget the likes of Bobby Gritch, Milton Bradley, Jeff Burrows, Sean Burrows, Andy Messersmith, Chase Utley, Damian Easley, Craig Swan, Randy Moffitt. he's the younger brother of Billie Jean King, by the way, Ron Fairley, Bob Bailey, and so many others that I'm sure we're gonna get letters about people we didn't mention. Okay, back to the Bay. So even though there's an indictment coming down the pike for the Bambino, the Comptroller of Conk, he's living the life of Riley. Bee sneezing it, 23 skidoo style in Long Beach, playing his three shows a day, parking his Studebaker wherever he feels like it, and just generally being welcomed in a celebratory manner as he was with a fancy banquet luncheon attended by the city's rich people and thrown by Long Beach City Manager C.S. Henderson at the exclusive and expensive and just-opened and glorious Pacific Coast Club. One other thing that's happening is that our friend Glenn E. Thomas is taking the babe, the nabob of Nock, hunting and fishing some mornings. I don't know what time babe is going to bed, but he's getting up crazy early to get cracking on that hunting and fishing. On Wednesday of that week, they show up at 4 a.m. at the Farmer's Gun Club, which was near where the Los Alamitos racetrack is today, and begin shooting their shotguns. In the course of the morning, the Babe, the boss of Bash, shoots 25 ducks, just shoots them dead with a shotgun, and has a great time. He has a nice chicken lunch at the gun club. They're famous for their chicken, apparently. Shoot the ducks, eat the chicken, and then he heads back for his show. Refreshed. It's a palate-cleansing type experience. Now, sometime around Thursday or Friday, the prospect of a potential indictment coming from Deputy Commissioner Gu is starting to become realer for the Babe and his people, and on Saturday morning, it's reported in the newspaper that a warrant has indeed been sworn out in San Diego for the Babe's arrest. And I don't know if they came to the Breakers Hotel to serve that warrant Saturday morning, but if they had, they wouldn't have found the Wally of Wallop at the hotel because he was out on an early morning fishing adventure with Glennie Thomas and the gang and a photographer. And I don't know what time they got up that day, but they arrived supposedly at 4 in the morning in Riverside, California, some 60 miles from Long Beach, at Glenn E.'s brother Claire's Studebaker dealership in Riverside. And from there, they go to the Rainbow Angling Club in the foothills of the San Bernardino Mountains. And by all accounts, it's just this lovely place to be and fish, especially if you're rich a long time ago. (laughs) That's a very relatable situation. So there they are in this beautiful spot, the Rainbow Angling Club, and the babes having a cat's pajamas of a good time, a drinking and a fishing, and he's in the zone. By noon, he's caught and eaten 17 trout. and I don't even know if he's cooked (laughs) them. I'm telling you, he's in the zone, Christy. So new palate cleanser, new day. Yeah. And again, 17 trout. I don't know if you have ever eaten 17 trout in a morning before. Can't say I have. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about Babe Ruth early morning guzzling of whiskey and rye and catching supposedly 17 trout and eating them. I assume he's just eating them raw. I don't know how he's doing it, but that's a lot of fish. Okay. Sometimes when somebody's really good at something, people will say they're the Babe Ruth of it. But this guy, he's actually Babe Ruth. That's his name. I mean, it's not really his name. His name is actually George Ruth, but his name is Babe Ruth, right? Okay, so not only is he the Babe Ruth of baseball, but he's also the Babe Ruth of fishing. And he's certainly the Babe Ruth of drinking. And he's the Babe Ruth of eating 17 trout in the morning. But unfortunately, he's about to be the Babe Ruth of being late to the 3 o'clock matinee of his vaudeville show because now they realize suddenly it's past noon, and he's in the foothills of San Perdue. There's no way he'll be able to get back to Long Beach in time. It's time for some quick thinking, and luckily, somebody has an idea. They go to the office at of the fishing club there, and they get them to call the Riverside Airfield, and they say, we need somebody to fly Babe Ruth, the supervisor of Smack, to Long Beach, like right now. And the only guy they can find is this stunt pilot-type guy, this daredevil who was locally famous for flying under some bridge that he wasn't supposed to fly under. And they go, we'll pay any amount of money if you can get Babe Ruth to the show on time. And the pilot says, any amount? And after some quick negotiations, they agree on $20. So they get a police escort from the fishing club to the Riverside Airfield, Babe and the Studebaker just a-drinking and laughing, offering shots all around. This is during Prohibition, of course. So they get to the airfield and they get him to the plane. First they weigh him, 240 pounds, and they get him into the back seat where he somehow manages to put his elbows through both sides of the fuselage, which at the time they used cotton, they used fabric for walls in airplanes. And Babe Ruth, the titan of terror, somehow puts his arms through the airplane itself. So now they gotta fix it. So they find some dish rags that were actually old flour sacks, and they patched the plane up with that, because it was the 1920s, and that's how you did things back then. Plane broken? Where's your dish rag? Yeah. I didn't expect a minor detail in this, being Dave Ruth casually breaking an airplane. Well, it's the 20s, right? So it's like, mm-hmm. it's going to be some plane with a propeller. Mm-hmm. And it probably has the goggles and the guy. Yeah, the got guy the hat, with the, the hat, and scarf. A scarf. <laughs> yeah, and then Babe Ruth in my mind, he's in full Yankee uniform, <laughs> getting on the plane, and just like cartoonishly, his arms going through the side of the airplane, and then they fix it with some old flower sacks. That's how you did it. So the fixing the plane. But Curtin is in less than an hour, Christy. This is like the, the, the climax of the movie. It's a race against time. Um, okay, so they take off, the babe just jabbering the whole time, according to the pilot, and the flight takes 35 minutes. They hustle him to a car and just floor it to the state theater. And guess what, Christy? What, what happens? Do they make it? They make it on time! They make it! They do! And Babe is backstage. He's got his Yankee uniform on for the show. He's getting his makeup on and he's juggling baseballs and generally having a good time. I can't tell how aware he is about the pending warrant, but apparently he's really surprised. And quite bummed when the theater manager comes into his dressing room and tells him that he's about to be served with the warrant. So the babe puts on his Argyle sweater, the one he was wearing while fishing, and he also puts on his professional Babe Ruth smiling face. And he turns himself in at the Long Beach police station, a little boozy, a little fishy-smelling. And even though he was mad, he was. He said, I've never been so mad in my life about the situation. Yeah, and yeah, and th- that was my Babe Ruth, by the way. It's, it's gonna That's going to happen a couple more times. Okay, he puts on an affable face as he paid his $500 bail. There's a photo by Glenny e. Thomas's photographer, by the way, that the library has in our digital archive of Babe handing over the money in crisp $20 bills. All reports of this incident always say crisp $20 bills, by the way. In the photo, you can see him, Babe Ruth in Long Beach, looking super stylish in his Argyle sweater, his baseball uniform pants, but with normal black dress shoes, handing a grip of cash over to the Long Beach police. It's a good multifunction look. Okay, so they take his bail, they let him out, and he heads back to the state theater, only 45 minutes late for Curtin. The picture appears in newspapers around the country. The Babe, arrested in Long Beach, California, usually accompanied by an article that tries, but not very hard, to explain the not particularly tabloid reason for the arrest. That's a clickbait of the 20s. It is! That's exactly what it is. Clickbait of the 20s. So the rest of the Babe's Long Beach shows go on more or less without incident, and the Babe leaves our seaside community. He packs up his car. The newspaper doesn't say which car he drives away in, but it does mention that he loads his car up heavily with his many belongings, including a large box full of the ducks he shot put on ice. The tour moves on to its final stop, Salt Lake City, and they do the shows, and that's the end of Babe Ruth's vaudeville career. I guess he didn't like it too much. He had said in the middle of the tour, before any of the legal hassles had even started, he said, I wish it was over now. I thought I was gonna like the work, and I do, but it's altogether too strenuous. Too exacting, he said of his of his stage show. <laughs> too strenuous. For like a professional athlete. Yeah. Got it. Too much, too much. So the great Bambino goes back to Yankee Stadium and has one of the best seasons of anyone's career. It's the 1927 Yankees, for goodness sake. Widely considered to be the greatest baseball team of all time. And that's the year the Babe hit 60 home runs and the Yankees sweep the Pirates in four games in the World Series. In October, the Babe, with Lou Gehrig in tow, returns to Long Beach to play an exhibition game at Shell Stadium on Halloween. But the game never happens, because it gets rained out. But not before. Glenn E. Thomas takes the Babe out hunting again at the Farmer's Gun Club, where Babe again has a fantastic time. And apparently there's footage of the Mayor of Mall passed out, drunk in the dirt, in a duck blind. Although I have not seen that. As for the legal case, the one he got arrested for, the judge hears the case in February and throws it out immediately, stating that the case was unusual and without merit. So then Deputy Commissioner Goo files another complaint, and that one gets thrown out too. Babe Ruth would visit Long Beach a few more times in his life, and I'll leave you with a quote from a newspaper interview he did backstage right before one of his shows at the State Theater. He said, You know, this is my first visit to Long Beach. I never had any idea there was such a swell little town right here. Been in Los Angeles a lot of times, but usually went to Santa Monica for the ocean, or Venice. Believe me, every time I'm in Los Angeles in the future, I'm coming down here for a visit. I like Long Beach," added the Bambino as he switched out the light in the dressing room and started for the stage, carrying the bat with which he makes his dramatic entrance. And that's it. That's the story of Babe Ruth, the babe, the Sultan of Swat, and his visit to Long Beach in 1927. Thank you for coming on this adventure with me today, Christy. It's been quite a journey. It's been a great story, ups and downs, laughter and tears. It's it's got it all. It's got it all. Thank you, Christy, for joining me today. Thank you for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Bye, everybody. We'll see you next time out to the ball game, takes me out with the crowd. Oh, buy me some peanuts and crack and jack. I don't care if I never get back. Let me root, root, root for the whole team if they